I'm going to pray, and then we're going to open up God's word together. Father, we come before you um, humbled that you would reconcile God to man, not through our own works are we saved, but through the work of Jesus Christ, who humbly came, became man, lived a perfect life, and died and rose again from the dead, and who, who now has sent his spirit to all those who trust. And we, we believe that through your spirit, we have, and your word, we have communion with you. And, and through each other, we have fellowship with, with God and with man. And we want to thank you for that. We want, to, we want to praise you for making a way back to you. And God, we, we do want to pray for those uh, in our number who are not able to be with us for different reasons. We ask that you would bless them and keep them. Um, we pray that for whatever reason it may be that keeps them from gathering, that you uh, would be kind to them and do good to them. And we pray for those who are sick and those who are maybe mentally worn down, even, uh, even this early in the fall. We pray that you would uphold them and be their right hand. You would um, protect them and keep them and, and energize them for the work and the life that you've called them to. We pray for those members who, uh, of our church who may be wandering, and we ask that you would draw them back to yourself through your son, Jesus Christ. God, we thank you, like we said before, that we, uh, the kingdom of God is big and we're not the only church in town and we, we pray for the other churches in Corvallis and Albany and in Portland and around the world, gospel preaching churches would proclaim your word and, and show Jesus from your word this morning and those who have already met that you would bless the, the preaching and the meeting together and, and we ask that. Uh, your name would be made great and would spread across the earth as the water covers the sea. We pray that the name of the Lord might be praised. And God, we ask that you would bless our, our, our brothers and sisters all over this town, those who are meeting on campus. We think of Resonate Church, and um, we think of the campus ministries that will be doing ministry throughout the week. We ask that you would bless them with the preaching of the gospel and the inviting others in to, the, to, the, to this life that you have won through Jesus Christ. And God, we pray that even as you do that for them, that you would do that for us this morning, that you would meet with us. We are hungry and thirsty, and only you can fill us. Only you can quench our thirst, our, our spiritual hunger and our spiritual thirst. Only you can do it. And we know that you have given us this written record in your word that tells us how you, have, you will do it, and that is by dwelling with your people. And so dwell among us this morning as we hear from your word and sing about you and feast on the Lord's Supper. And I pray, God, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer and our king. Amen. This, uh, this week, my great aunt Jerry died. Uh, I, I loved her, but we were not, we were not super close. 
Um, however, every time someone I know or love dies, it makes me long for heaven. It makes me long for the immediate presence of my Savior, Jesus. It makes me long for a place where there's no death, no sin, no sadness. It makes me long for heaven. Do you ever long for that place? Do you ever long for a place of no violence, no hate, no greed, no lust, or sin of any kind? If you do, friend, then you long for the place that you were created for, the place where God dwells. The book of Exodus, you can turn there now. It's the second book in the Christian Bible, Genesis, Exodus. There's Bibles in the pews. And uh, Exodus is the book. We're in chapter 30, which is the big number, and, and we're going to take the whole chapter. The verse numbers are the little smaller footnote-like numbers. We're going to be in that. And the book of Exodus actually tells us that the God of the Bible comes to dwell with his people. He, he's not a God who is aloof or, or just far away. He is a God who comes near. And in Exodus, that dwelling place of God with man is in the tabernacle. We've been learning about that for the last few weeks. The, the tabernacle, the, literally the tent of meetings or the dwelling place of God with man, was a little piece of heaven on earth. The, the transcendent God who created everything, he's, he's all-powerful, in this book of narrative of Exodus, he defeats the Israelites' enemies, the Egyptians, and he redeems his people out of slavery in Egypt, and he came down to man. And the tabernacle, that little tent that God had given instructions for Moses to build and for the priests to, to, uh, to work in it, is that place called the tabernacle. And that tabernacle and all its furniture was designed to tell us two things. God is the creator and ruler of the universe, and he is a friend of sinners. The heaven of heavens cannot contain God, and yet he chooses to step into time and space to be with his people. What kind of a God is this? Friends, the tabernacle is a little shadow of a little slice of heaven on earth. No wonder Moses, God gave Moses such detailed instructions about this. You know, the, the creation of the universe, God gave two chapters to the creation of the whole universe. But to the tabernacle, he gives 15 chapters, starting in chapter 25 all the way to the completion of it in chapter 40. And he's telling us that he is coming to dwell with his people. He wants to dwell with his people. He... he he is holy, and yet he wants to be with us. Tabernacle is a little shadow of God dwelling with his people. Now, friends, heaven is a real place, and it's a place where God dwells with his people. The tabernacle is a little slice of heaven on earth. And today, we come to the instructions about the tabernacle, the, the last, the end of it, the last instructions about the tabernacle and its furniture so we're gonna, there's just a, a few things. The altar of incense, there's a census tax, 
and a bronze basin for washing and a recipe for essential oils. Guys, come on now. You got to give, I was just seeing if you're paying attention. It's not essential oils. Does anyone even know what essential oils is? <laughs> a few of you do. Uh, it's not really essential oils, but I just, I want to see if you're paying attention. Bible also gives some instructions about the, the oils and the incense that they were going to burn. We're not going to spend hardly any time on that, but just know that it's there and know that it was holy to the Lord. So the question for us in this text is, why did God give these instructions in this way to Moses? Like I said, he, de- he defeated their enemies. If you read back in, in chapters 1 through 14, God defeats Egypt and all of their gods, showing that he, there is one true God in heaven and earth. There's only one God. The Egyptians had a bunch of God, but they were all domesticated. And God, Yahweh, defeated them, showing he's the one true God. And then they cross the Red Sea, and God confirms his covenant with them. He brings bread down from heaven. He gives water from a rock. And he leads them to Mount Sinai, where his glory comes down on the mountain. And he spoke with the mediator, Moses, giving them the law and these instructions of this tabernacle. Why? Because he wants to dwell with his people. And he made all the necessary arrangements to do so. Uh, Take this away. God is holy, okay? No sinful person can dwell in his presence. But God is, he will not let his holiness nor his people's sins keep him from coming to them. Keep him from dwelling them. Neither his holiness, he's very holy, or our sins, which we are very sinful. He would not let that keep him from coming to his people. And when he comes to his people, everything must be done in a certain way because he's holy, holy, holy. God is king and the friend of sinners. So as king, he makes demands, and as friend, he makes concessions. He made a way for them, that is God's people, Israelites, to draw near to him. And this is pictured in the altar of incense. So I'm going to read about this in Exodus chapter 30, verses 1 through 10. Remember, Moses is on the mountain, God's glory is covering the mountain, and he's talking to Moses as he would talk to a friend and giving them instructions. And he says, you shall make an altar on which to burn incense. You shall make it of acacia wood. A cubit shall be its length and a cubit its breadth. It shall be a square. Two cubits shall be its height. Its horn shall be of one piece with it. You shall overlay it with pure gold, its top and around its side and its horns, and also be a molding of gold around it. And you shall make two golden rings for it, under it, under its molding on two opposite sides of it. You shall make them and they shall be holders for the poles with which to carry it. You shall make the poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold, and you shall, put in front of the, you shall put it in front of the veil that is above the ark of the testimony, in front of the mercy seat that is above the testimony where I will meet with you. And Aaron shall burn fragrant incense on it. Every morning when he dresses the lamps, he shall burn it. And when Aaron sets up the lamps at twilight, he shall burn it, a regular incense Offering before the Lord throughout your generations, you shall not offer unauthorized incense on it or a burnt offering 
or a grain offering, and you shall not pour out a drink offering on it. Aaron shall make atonement on its horns once a year with blood of the sin offering of atonement. He shall make atonement for it once in the year throughout your generations. It is most holy to the Lord. So you can see the slide of what that thing was supposed to look like. This beautiful altar of incense, the only thing to be done on this was to burn incense. No offerings, no nothing. Incense would burn, it would go up towards God and into the most holy place. So what did the people who were reading this for the first time know about the altar of incense? What it represented? We don't know for sure. We we don't know. But what they did know was that the smell of the incense would be burning morning and evening. They would know that the priest was going to go in and do the work for the people, knowing that God was going to dwell with them. And I imagine that the priest would talk about this, you know, uh, as they would come out and they would, they would sit around and, with their family and eat. And maybe they would talk about what it was like to go into the holy place. And they would talk about the beautifully smelling incense, how it would fill the room as they lit the fire. And the, as the incense burned, it would fill the room. And then it would go from where it was over through the veil into the holy of holies, into the very presence of God who made his presence dwell on the Ark of the Covenant, above the mercy seat. The altar's sole purpose was for burning incense. The only other thing that happened to this altar of incense was that Aaron, once a year on the Day of Atonement, would take blood from the sacrifice and go into the Holy of Holies after he had made sacrifice for his sin, for the sin of the people, and he would make atonement for the altar. He would put the blood of the atonement on the altar. And it was, it was put there before the curtain that separated the holy place from the holy of holies. The Ark of the Covenant, where God dwelt, was on the other side of it. And the, this was the last piece of furniture the priest would see or do anything with before he went into God's presence. And somehow, the incense from the altar transcended from that place into the very presence of God without anyone going in there. Well, friends, we know from the rest of Scripture that incense represents the prayers of God's people. Israelites didn't necessarily know that. But Revelation 5.8 tells us. Revelation 5.8 says that, and when he had taken the scroll, the angel, the four living creatures, and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. God is telling us here at the end of all things in Revelation what the incense was representing, but the people didn't know. We know so much more than they knew, but we, here's what God was picturing was the prayers of his people coming before him. The incense goes up into the holy of holies so that the prayers of the people are before God himself. And the reader who's paying attention would have known that God was like this all along. In Exodus chapter two, 
the people are under a great burden of slavery. The Pharaoh that knew Joseph had died, and a new Pharaoh had came in, and it was making them work terribly uh, under the, the, the whip of the Egyptian slave master. And during those days, in Exodus 2, verse 23, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. God heard their groaning. God remembered. God saw, and God knew. Friend, I I know that you have been praying for something for a long time. There's something you particularly have been praying for for a long time. According to the testimony of Exodus 2 and Exodus 30, your prayers have gone up before God. He hears. He remembers. He sees. And he knows. Friends, Moses did not know the full purpose of God's instructions for the tabernacle, particularly for the altar of incense. The priests did what the Lord commanded by faith without understanding fully what it was all for. And you, you do not know everything God is up to. But by faith, you can believe that God will answer your prayers and reward your obedience in due time. God God is calling you not to know everything or to pray perfectly. He's calling you to, by faith, like the people of Israel, do what he's called you to do, pray the prayers he's called you to pray, and trust that he has heard you, he remembers, he sees, and he knows. He knows you. He knows that unsaved friend or relative or child or spouse that you're praying for. He knows how long you've been praying for a spouse yourself. He knows about the job, about the grade, about the relationship. He knows all about it. He hears, he remembers, he sees, and he knows. So by faith, you can, like the altar of incense, make your prayers, go up to God and believe by faith that he is going to answer in his due time. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. In Hebrews chapter 9, the author of Hebrews talks about this very altar of incense. But the way he talks about the altar of incense and where he places it is on the, on the other side, right next to the, to the, the, to the, uh, the Ark of the Covenant. In Exodus, it's on the other side of the veil. In Hebrews, it's on this side of the veil. Which is to say, is the author of Hebrews just wrong? I don't think so. I think it's saying that our, this is what it means the whole time. The altar of incense representing our prayers are right before God. It's, it's like we're in the very presence of God. So when you pray, you're in the very throne room of God himself. He hears your prayers. He listens. And the judge of all the earth will do right. You draw near to God and he will draw near to you. 
God's presence was a reality that they had to believe by faith. Will you believe him by faith? Maybe you've never, you've never heard of this message before. I, I invite you to ask questions of your friends that brought you or, or me. But because God chooses to step into time and history, he makes a way for sinners like you and me to come into his presence. You have to believe it by faith. But not only the altar of incense, but because of, because of sin, God's presence was also costly. We don't have to believe it by faith, but we understand that God's presence was costly. In the next section, we read about a census tax. Seems, it seems odd and misplaced, but God, we know that God writes everything he has in this word for a reason. So in verse 11, God continues his instructions to Moses, and he says, when you take the census of the people of Israel, then each shall give a ransom for his life to the Lord when you number them, that there be no plague among them when you number them. Each one is numbered in the census shall give this, a half a shekel. According to the shekel of the sanctuary, the shekel is 20 giras. So just so we're all on the same page, that was, that was a, a, a few, a shekel was about a few ounces uh, uh, according to our measurement. Half a shekel as an offering to the Lord uh, everyone who is numbered in the census from 20 years old and upward shall give the Lord's offering. The rich shall not give more, the poor shall not give less than the half shekel, then you give the Lord's offering to make atonement for your lives. You shall, you shall take the atonement money from the people of Israel and shall give it for the service of the tent of meeting that it may bring the people of Israel to remembrance before the Lord so as to make an atonement for your lives." So the census was usually taken to count uh, military-aged people for the army. Sometimes kings wanted to know how many people were in his kingdom for planning purposes or for military purposes. And, and this is usually what a census tax was taken for. And the gira was a weight of a, a few ounces or, or around there of some sort of metal. And, and this tax, was, tax, did you notice, was taken regardless of wealth. This is not a political statement, okay? I'm just, we're just noticing what's in the text. It was, it was not viewed as oppressive for the poor to pay the same as the rich. God viewed each life with equality. Each had equal value and therefore cost the same. And God was, was, was showing them that their life's actually, their sin costs money for atonement but their lives equally mattered, whether they were poor or they were rich. And the payment was reasonable. This is a place where the tabernacle actually conceals as much as it reveals. Remember, this, the tabernacle is, is, a, is a shadow and a type of something greater to come, Hebrews tells us. So paying the atonement tax, the, uh, the, the census tax, reminds us that atonement was needed in order to be and dwell with God's people. If you, if you should, it should have pointed them to their need for a full and final atonement. The question, I wonder what questions you have about this. Just as a reader, one of the things you should ask is where did they get the money to pay for this? 
Where did they get the materials for this? How, how, how are they to pay this? They were just recently ransomed for these, recently escaped from Egypt. They're in the wilderness. Uh, there, there's no indication that you know, they had a, a system of, of money and, and coins. So how were they to pay? Am I the only one that wants to know that? I hope you want to know it too, because I'm going to tell you. In Exodus 12, verse, verses 35 and 36, the people of Israel, God had, was, ransom, was ransoming them from Egypt, rescuing them from Egypt. And before they left, before the last plague of the death of the firstborn son in Egypt, God told them that they should ask the Egyptians for silver and gold and jewelry and for clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they, that they let them have what they asked. Therefore, they plundered the Egyptians. But not plundering by war or by the sword. They just plundered them by asking and the Egyptians gave it to them. This is what we think they used to pay the, the taxes that God demanded of them. And don't you see, dear friend, even in this story, God provides for them everything that they need. All they did was simply ask the Egyptians and the Egyptians gave. God provides for what he demands. God had already provided for what he now demands of them. Pay the tax. How are we to pay the tax? Do you remember when you plundered the Egyptians just by asking them for silver and gold and, and for clothing? You give that. They didn't have to give it back, but if they didn't, they would suffer under a plague. And when they did give, God provided for the very need of the tabernacle, the very, the very place where he was gonna come to dwell with them, to meet with them. This little piece of heaven on earth. And when God's people live by faith and obey him, when they give of their time, talent, and treasure, not just to the church, but when they give of their time, talent, and treasure, their whole life back to God, he ends up providing for them the very thing they need. Friends, the, the census tax was, was not just a senseless tax. It was a tax that showed them their need for atonement, but also provided for the tabernacle, the very place where he would dwell with them. That's the one thing they need, the place you want to be back at, the place of, of heaven on earth, the place where God dwells with his people. He not only demands what they give to him, he provides what he demands. And that is just like the God we know. And friends, it's not only the altar of incense that pictures our prayers going up to God, and not only the, the census tax, which reminds us of atonement needed, was also atonement paid and provided for by God himself. The last piece of furniture in this place is the bronze basin, verses 17 through 21. The Lord said to Moses, you shall also make a basin of bronze, which it stands of bronze, for washing. You shall put it between the tent of meeting and the altar, and you shall put water in it, with which Aaron and his sons shall wash their hands and their feet. When they go into the tent of meeting, or when they come near the altar to minister, to burn a food offering to the Lord, they shall wash with water so that they may not die. They shall wash their hands and their feet so that they may not die. It shall be a statute forever to them, even to him 
and to his offspring throughout the generations. Friends, the instructions have taken us out of the holy place. We can put the slide of the tap, yes. The instructions have taken us out from the holy place. The place where the the tent is, that pillar of smoke and the the temple or the tabernacle is the place where God would have his glory dwell. And, And the instructions have taken us from there to the brazen laver. And you'll notice that the place where God dwells is the place where the priest will go to. This is not, the the place where God is, it's not where the people start. The people start outside the camp. They start east of the entrance to where God is. They would enter through the gate facing east, and they would enter to offer their sacrifices. The priest would offer the sacrifice and then head to the bronze basin to wash up. So the people would bring their sacrifice for their sin, the priest would offer it, and then the priest would go and clean up from the day's work. Now friends, the order matters. Many of us, almost, I would say probably all of us, struggle with thinking that we need to wash ourselves up in order to receive grace from God. But the brazen labor, the brazen uh, basin where they would wash their hands and, and the rest of them was actually after the altar. It was after the sacrifice. Many of us view grace in, in this way. We need to be cleaned up in order to be, for God to be gracious to us, for God to, to, to receive grace from God. But that is not what the gospel says. God gives us his grace through the sacrifice of his son pictured on the altar. And he fully accepts us in him. His son is Jesus Christ who who would come. He would temple, tabernacle, tent among us just as pictured in in the tabernacle of the Old Testament. But he would come wrapped in human flesh. He was clothed, he tented just like we do in human flesh. And he came to give up himself. So what did he do? He lived a perfect life, fulfilling the law's demands, something that we have not done. Our lives maybe are not as bad as they can be, but they are sinful in compared to God's holiness, infinitely sinful, because God is infinitely holy. And those sins demand not only death, but eternal punishment in hell forever to be redundant. And yet, the grace of God that comes to us through his son, living a perfect life and then dying on the cross, whose death, pictured in the Old Testament, would cover our sins, would, would, would make us right with God, would reconcile God's wrath it, it, was, it, was, it was that. We come to him through sacrifice. We come by the blood. We come by the death of Jesus. We don't come by the washing of ourselves up. God saves us through the sacrifice of his son, and then he begins the process of cleaning us up. In this life, that process of cleaning up is, is a process. It's a finished work of God, but it's also a process. 
And the bronze basin tells us that God would have us clean and washed and cleansed as, he comes, as we come into his presence. And he will provide that cleansing and that washing. He will provide the, the cleanliness that we need. Friends, he doesn't plan to leave you or his people dirty or sinful forever. That sin that you struggle with, that you keep struggling with, he, he plans to cleanse you from that. And, and the process of that through this life is through continual repentance and turning. Older authors have called it the, the hating of your sin is repentance, is turning from it. That bronze basin tells us, do not get the order mixed up. You come in through the sacrifice. You, you, friend, dear friend, are accepted by Jesus only through his sacrifice and then his resurrection from the dead. That's how you're received, and then you are cleaned up. I'm not, I am not saying that the bronze basin represents baptism at all, but it does remind me that baptism is a sign of this reality. When we are baptized, it shows, it shows, it pictures, even in the sounds, that our sins are washed away. When we, when we die in Christ and we are raised again to new life in him, as we go into the waters of baptism, it's a picture of this, we are clean before him. Oh, dear friend, you come to Christ only through his death and resurrection, and then he will cleanse you. You who have come to Christ and still deal with sin and dirtiness, one day you will finally be cleansed from sin forever on that day you see him. The little slice of heaven on earth will be a full reality. My friends, the, the reality that the heaven on earth, the little slice of heaven on earth is also reality in this church. The church is a sign of this. You, you come into the church, not just the universal church, but you come into a local church as one who has been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ and who is in the process of, of becoming more and more like him and one day will fully be glorified in him. That's a little slice of heaven on earth. When you come together and, you, and we as a people confess God, Jesus Christ, as our only hope, in life and death. We come not to be cleansed. We, 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 we come because we are clean in Jesus and we want to become more and more like him. And we confess him as our, as our hope, him alone. Friends, the tabernacle reminds us, tells us that God has come to dwell with his people. He, 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 is, he has made everything necessary. He, he has done everything necessary for you to come to him because he is coming to you. He has come to you in his son, Jesus. Now, if you don't know him, what, what, what's stopping you from receiving him today, turning from your sins and trusting him alone? If you have trusted in him alone, What's stopping you in your process of sanctification, of becoming more and more like Jesus? Maybe it's, maybe it's this. Maybe it's because we do not see the dwelling place of God as a little slice of heaven on earth. And that's what he wants us to see. He has come to dwell with us, to dwell with his people.
though my aunt died, I believe that she was a Christian and she's with Jesus rejoicing no more cancer in her body. She has had the, the veil removed. One day we will too. And right now in the church, the veil is being removed little by little. Even though we see through a glass darkly, Jesus Christ is here among us. Let us branch, make this place a little outpost of heaven, a little embassy, a little slice of heaven on earth because of the good news of the gospel. Let's pray.